0: what you have always wanted to do. Well, today with me, I've got a really special guest. I've got an old pal of mine, Ryan Honshutten, who I worked with for many years. Old fella. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) there he is. Always got a word as Ryan. Yeah. Um, But I'd like to introduce to my listeners on Max's Island, Ryan. And I know that Ryan has a million and one really interesting stories, but I've asked him just to pick one of his favorites. So Ryan, welcome to Max's Island.
1: Thank you, Tony, for allowing me to join you on this island. Um, or do I call you Max? Oh, you can
0: call me whatever you like. You <laughs> normally do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've lo- known you long enough now, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. So, Ryan, tell our listeners of one of those adventures you've had, one of those stories that are a little bit unique, a little bit different, where you probably did something a little bit special, a little bit against the grain. You do lots of things against the grain. We all know that but um, one of those favorite times in your life.
1: Sure, Um, and it's quite, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for at the moment? It's quite, um, permanent is it? I think, I'm I'm not sure the word, Um, but at the moment um, I'm seeing all my um, memories pop up on Facebook right now, Um, and we're in the month of February, and because I did this great adventure from the um, 10th of January through to the 10th of April, so I'm seeing all my little memories (laughs) pop up right now. And what year was that? Uh, that was in 2017, right? So two years ago, um, that's three, which is that's hard three to believe. Years ago, three mate. years ago, I know. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Mass, three years ago. The mess was never very um, good. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and it, it's sort of like I say, they're, they're all popping up now, and it's just amazing once again to relive the journey, and and you know, because you do forget over years, um, you know, in months, and that we all get busy, and you forget little things, the little details, the minor, the, the finer details. And just to see them come up and you go, oh, yeah, that's right, I remember that, you know, and, and you get all excited all over again and makes you want to go do it again. So, so tell us about this journey, this
0: three-month journey, and uh, what was it and, and what made you have the opportunity to, to do it?
1: So I was coming up to my second lot of long service leave and I, my first long service leave, I've got to mention this, my first long service leave I took when I found out my mother was passing away and I thought to myself, I'm just gonna take this now and I'm gonna be with her for as long as I can. And the long service leave lasted a week after she passed it away. Um, but I reckon that was probably one of the best things I could have ever given her. It was one of the best things I ever had because I got to spend my you know the, those 12 weeks with her by her side. So this was my second lot of long service leave. And I thought to myself, What am i going to do and i was toying with many ideas for the with the year leading up to it you know one of them was maybe i should just take you know six months off and work a couple of days a week and but then i thought about it and thought what a waste of opportunity because i'd probably just spend all that time doing stuff around the house or you know going out with friends and discovering a variety of different hotels pubs and clubs and all that sort of <laughs> stuff and pretty much just you know drinking it all away and i thought no, no i'm not going to do that that's a waste of time because i had seen other people at work do it and you know i really felt that they didn't have that time off the other opportunity was to spend 3 months at home and pretty much do the same and i thought no that's it's i'm going to go spare after the first week so I started to look around for something to do, something to sink my teeth in and you know, and, and sort of get out and, and do something that's going to be memorable.
0: So that's something that's like an adventure that yeah. was going to take up the whole three months?
1: Well, <laughs> in the beginning, it wasn't meant to be the whole three months. Um, I had sort of kind of would have liked a little bit of time off either side. But as it worked out, I remember sitting down at work one day with the um, guys in the... Um, <laughs> pay department and we pretty much worked it out to the actual day like from day to day that I had so I left on the 10th of January and I okay, flew back in on the 10th of April and started work on the day after or something like that so <laughs> it was tight it <laughs> was really Full no value <laughs> yeah absolutely I maximized it and the funny thing was is when I got back in the inbox there was a policy from payroll about uh, long service leave and how to calculate it and all that sort of stuff so I'm sure I was the um, person that um, got that policy going. That prompted it. That prompted it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, so um, I started looking around. I do a lot of sailing. I really enjoy sailing. I love being out in the water. Um, And
0: and just for our listeners' knowledge, that you've sailed a lot. And I recall spending uh, a week driving you and a few others to the, the world match yes, racing yeah. world championships down at royal perth Earth, that yes. would have been about 2011 yes it was like yeah that. we
1: didn't do too well in that no, one but, but three years later we did in 2014 yeah, exactly. uh, world champions world but
0: champions yeah but so so your background in sailing is very strong yeah
1: yeah oh very much so very strong now um, you might
0: want to just tell the listeners about that match racing because that then sets the scene about where you come from from a point of view of sailing
1: So we do, or myself, when I say we, my my team and I, my skipper and I, and our other teammates, we do blind match racing. So we sail against other blind competitors from all around the world. And we use a system of sound buoys or sound buoys to navigate us around the course, as well as sounds on our individual boats um, that can indicate whether we're on starboard tack, or a port tack, and um, the other boat has the same indication so we can hear where they are Um, and we sail completely independently there's no sighted person on our boat and um, yeah we race against them and using the wind using the heel the feel of the boat those noises putting it all together and we pull that puzzle together to um sail a race we weren't so good we we're a bit fresh in 2011 <laughs> um and look you know by 2014 we'd put in the hard yards found a coach who was a great coach but a mean coach uh, it's always the mean coaches that get you results, get isn't you it? results you know absolutely right. he made us put in the word the 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 work you know so yeah we we ended up with the gold medal in 2014 which is um fantastic so
0: and it should be noted that both yourself and your skipper are totally blind
1: that's right and the, your other crew has a little bit more sight a little bit yeah similar, she but can but see when she brushes her hair in the morning at least yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so. so that
0: sets the scene for for where you're coming from from yep. a sailing point of view
1: yep. so I, I was hunting around and I was really at a loss. Um, it was sort of getting to April of the year before and I was sort of, you know, really didn't know what to do. I'm starting to get a little bit worked up in my, in, within myself to think, you know, what am I going to do? Now, I'm glad you mentioned or got me to mention that because one of the other things that I didn't want to do was just go throw myself onto a plane and end up in Europe by myself and go try and travel around by myself for three months. It scared me at the time. Uh, it really did. I thought, there's no way I can ever do that. I had seen and heard of, and I do know of other vision-impaired, totally blind people that have done it. I admire them. Um, I don't know how they do it. But at the time, I wasn't ready for it. And I thought, no, I don't want to do that. Um, I looked around, asked amongst friends. I really couldn't find anybody that wanted to go do some travelling with me. So anyway, as it happened, my skipper was away at the time on a square rigger. And she was sailing from... I think it was um, somewhere in the Bahamas, back to the UK. Unfortunately, she didn't really have such a good time, just due to the weather, and she gets awfully seasick. But she told me enough stories. <laughs> awfully
0: seasick it. for a very good sailor. That's oh, a, yeah, That's she not does. a good mix, yeah. is it? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I reckon she gets seasick just looking at a glass of water on the table. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I listened to her stories, and... And I got hooked and I thought, geez, that sounds really good. Sailing on a square rigger. I've done lots of sailing uh, on the STS Lewin here in Perth. So I know what square sailing is all about. I know what it's, you know, how much fun it can be and what's involved in climbing masts and all that sort of stuff and getting out in the yards and all that, you know, and pulling ropes. It's, you know, there's no winches involved here. It's all manual work. And so she, my skipper Kylie then informed me that, hey, did you realize that the, the great ship Tenacious is doing a um, circuit navigation of the world? and it will be in australia and blah 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 and it will do this and it will do that and anyway so i looked into it and as you do i looked a few times and went nah i can't do that looked again nah, i can't do that looked again no nah, i can't afford that looked again and went you know let's see if we can let's see if we can pull this off so I started um, ringing the office and getting together some of the things I needed to find out, needed to know. First thing I had to work out is how to convert pound to Australian dollars. That nearly made me lose my hair overnight when I (laughs) realised how much that was going to be. Sounds all right when you're spending £4,000. Converting that back to Australian dollars makes you sit down really quick. Anyway, so I uh, went through all that. Um, I went through a few tense months of... um, getting travel insurance you know how hard it is to get travel insurance for being on a square rigger being offshore like being out in the wilderness you no know when you know when you land it no one wants to know you especially when you got a disability they really don't want to know you but anyway look a little bit of toing and froing and lots of emailing and putting my point forward i finally all sorted that out and anyway i finally got my passage booked and i was originally only meant to sail from auckland around cape horn To the Falkland Islands only. Only. Yeah, that's right. Only. It's a cruise. Yeah. Yeah. It was just (laughs) a cruise. Yeah. And then I started to look at getting home, and getting home was going to be uh, somewhat of a little challenge, because there was a couple of ways to do it. I could have either jumped on the jet that goes straight from the Falklands to the UK. That's if it flies, because there's a variety of different reasons why it might not fly due to weather. Um, I don't know, due to a lot of things, you know, just, just travel routes, maintenance, places it can land and all that sort of stuff. Or I could have flown to Argentina and had a bit of fun there and then tried to get myself home. Which You would have I mean, never have come home. No, I probably you... wouldn't have. <laughs> no. um, they, they eat some good beef and steaks up there, <laughs> I tell you. And that would have meant like going either back to South Africa or back to the UK or back to the US and all the way back around again. And I thought, and like just even adding all those airfares up it was getting monstrous. It was almost getting larger than the actual cost of what it was to do the first trip. So I looked at the second trip, and that was from the Falklands to Cape Town. And I sort of went, well, add that together, put that together with the airfare from Cape Town, and I think I ended up with about $100 in front. (laughs) (laughs) So I went, well, I think it's just answered itself. So. I then embarked on this uh, great journey, I guess. I started planning the journey, um, getting it all ready. I had to fit myself out with um, clothing because it, it was going to get really cold, especially when we sailed down to the Falklands and then from there down to South Georgia. So I had to get kitted up for all that sort of stuff. I had to think about, you know, I, I need everything for three months. Exactly three months. Um, you know, enough underwear, enough socks. Um, had to take, you know, sewing kits. There had to be jumpers. I needed to pack shorts for the warmer stuff appropriate shoes when you're on land shoes for when you're at sea you had to pack all your own wet weather gear um that wasn't supplied by the ship you had to get all that all those little creature comforts that you might want you know like the you know my age i need to think about things like antacids and indigestion <laughs> pills and panadols um any eye drops and stuff i need little you know all that sort of medications vitamins and all that you might take on a regular basis a little bit of your favourite foods, plenty of audiobooks. That that was a huge thing that I had to um, get sorted out, audiobooks. And they were on your phone? Yeah, they were on my phone, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's better than having to... In the old days, where you would have had to take cassettes. Oh,
1: yeah, we can imagine that, or even <laughs> braille books. Can you yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't need another ship to follow us with braille books. So, just just even your toiletries, just getting all that sorted out, and because um, you just didn't know what was going to happen. There was no guarantee when, you, even when you signed up, um, there was no guarantee that the ship would actually eventually dock at the Falklands. They said, depending on weather, depending on where we go, or depending on what happens, we may not get there. We may end up in Argentina. We may end up somewhere else because but- you can't control the elements.
0: So Ryan, just paint the picture for our listeners. How big is the boat? How many people are on the boat? And how many are experienced or professional sailors?
1: So you're gonna test me here. The boat, I know it's around about 10 meters longer than the Lewin, so it's about, um, I'm gonna go, oh, it might be about 81 meters or something long. I know it's about just over 13 meters wide. Height, it's definitely a lot higher than Luan. I think the highest mast is something like, I should have looked all this up before. It's about around about 48 meters, we'll call it the highest mast. Yeah. It is about three stories tall at the very back of the ship. So you've got the lower deck, the below deck. Then you've got like the main saloon area. That's Oh, it's actually almost four. Then you've got a deck above that, and then um, the bridge, and then there's the the roof of the bridge there. So it's it's quite tall. And how old is it? Um, And it's about so at that level, it's about eight meters off the water level. How old? It's a it's a reasonably new ship. It was built actually by a variety of people with disabilities back in 1996 and launched around 2000. So it was actually it was quite unique the way it was built. Um, Everybody was involved. Shipwrights were working next door to people with disabilities building this ship, plank by plank, brace by brace. It was was built that way, and that's the way it was designed. The Tenacious is actually a ship built for sailors with disabilities. So all the corridors on it are extra wide, so you can get wheelchairs through. The bunks on some of them, on some of the cabins, are designed especially for getting wheelchairs in and out of. There's braille all around the ship, wherever you go there's large print, you know, that sort of thing. There's hearing loops in certain areas. It's all designed for that sort of thing. Now, when I was on board myself, I was the only totally blind or the only blind person actually on the first passage. And the second passage I had to share with another blind person, (laughs) (laughs) which is, you know, no, it was great. She was all right. And there was one person with wheelchair and then there was a couple with hearing impairments, a couple with motor neuron diseases uh, and multiple sclerosis and a few other things. So. Um, and, and
0: had many of those people sailed before?
1: Just about, I'd have to say just about everyone on the ship, except for a small handful, had sailed before, especially on the first passage going around Cape Horn. They had owned yachts in their lives, they, or they still owned yachts in their lives, or they had been on a similar ship somewhere in the world. They had that passion to go sailing.
0: So what was the journey like from, from Auckland to Cape
1: Horn? At first it was really frightening. I mean, jumping on that plane by myself, you know, that day I left Perth and heading, you know, landing in Auckland and just thinking to myself, you know, all that way over, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? You know, I don't know anybody else going. I have no one else that I, you know, I know, except for I was picked up in Auckland. How fortunate. I was picked up in Auckland by a good mate of mine, Neil, who um, him and his wife just happened to be over there touring around. So they picked me up in Auckland and put me up for the night and looked after me and then dropped me off at the ship the next day. But then it was almost, I guess, when they left me the next day and I thought there I was standing in the main saloon with 52 other people around me. That's some permanent crew and the rest of us voluntary crew or paying passengers or voluntary crew, you know, it was like all of a sudden it hit me. It was like, this is frightening. I don't know anybody here. But then I sort of thought, rise to the challenge. Get to know these people. You're going to have to live with them for the next, you know, 30-something days, 36 days or something like that. If you don't get to know them, you're not going to have a fun time. Well, Um, I should
0: tell the listeners that that's actually your day job is teaching young people... Uh, especially those with with a disability about doing exactly that facing up to the challenges of life and going ahead and doing it
1: absolutely So, so
0: you didn't need to be a hypocrite did you
1: oh absolutely not and you know it's it's funny if you could slow the mind down and listen to all those little messages going through your mind at once in situations like this you know that was one of the messages bubbling through you know hey you tell the kids to do this every day why aren't you doing it you know throw yourself in there son you know you put yourself into this you paid the money Now get on with it, you know, and I I swear I could hear mum's voice in there somewhere too (laughs) telling me to get on with it. So uh, it didn't take long uh, before we ended up down one of the pubs and uh, then the second pub and the third pub by the end of the night. Because um, <laughs> we weren't due to sail to the next morning, and I think I met most of the crew that night, and that was great, and that was a really good introduction. We had a few little issues along the way, um, as be with ships like that. I mean, ships, things go wrong with ships. You know, they're they're constantly being thrown about. They're they're not. It's not smooth sailing. You know, it's it's the waves are big. It's rough. So we had a few problems with generators, radars, and that sort of thing, and freezer plants and all that to get us started. But we finally got underway. And, and do I recall there was a bit of damage?
0: At one, one point Oh,
1: there was, yes, yeah. Yeah, there was. Um, there was a bit of damage. Um, one of the storms, I remember one morning, we. Um, I got up extra early. I don't know why. Uh, you know, sometimes these things happen. Got up yeah. extra early and um, got myself up on deck and then went and saw the officer on watch and said, all right, I'm just going to go back down and make myself a cup of tea and I'll be ready to go at 4 a.m. And uh, I was drinking, I think I hadn't, well, I made the tea, I hadn't even taken a sip, and then the, the bulkhead door was thrown open, then the officer of the watch is, Ryan, you, on deck now, go. And we got on deck, and we'd just been hit by a Force 10 gale, and... Um, when I walked out, it was like the noise. It sounded like being run over by six or seven freight trains all at once. Just the the wind and the rigging. It yeah. was scary, and the deck had really changed its motion. Um, so anyway, we were up the front of the ship, and you know, then all of a sudden, you, you've got these waves just washing the fr- or to- or across the front of the ship, and you're standing momentarily up to your waist in water, as the water's rolling across the ship, um, trying to pull on you know lines to get the sails furled and that sort of thing. While that was all happening, uh, one of the waves actually washed out one of the embarkation rails. So all of a sudden, instead of having a rail, say about my chest height, all the way around the ship, there was all of a sudden a hole in the side that was about two meters long. Oh wow! So any you know, and with the water up to your waist, can you imagine? You know, if you'd been sucked in that direction, um, it would have been pretty much goodbye. And well, were you would have been over the side? And were you?
0: roped or shackled or anything
1: we had harnesses um and you were roped or you know you were tied onto or clipped onto anything you could get yourself clipped onto within reason but it's still that water was pulling at you yes you know um i didn't want to test how strong those harnesses were yeah you know uh and they're proper harnesses they're they over the shoulder harness and all that sort of stuff but you don't want to test it and it's still frightening and you don't want to actually be too blasé and go "Ah, oh, it's all right i've got my harness on Because what happens if you'd forgotten to clip it on or what happens if you thought you'd clipped it onto something and you'd missed or, you know, that sort of thing. Or you clipped it onto something because, you know, look, it was 4 a.m. I mean, it wasn't dark for me, but it was 4 a.m. It was dark and things were frantic. You know, the boat was being or the ship was being thrown around all over the place. So it was, you know, the, the chances of something happening or clipping onto the wrong thing were quite High, but,
0: but, it, but it could have happened.
1: It could have happened. So you don't want to take yeah. those chances. You want to be careful. So, yeah, so that was probably one of the most scariest moments um, on board, one of the most confronting. And it was only afterwards when you're sitting down, you know, at breakfast reflecting, going, what just happened? Yeah. You know.
0: And and how long did it take you to get from Auckland to Cape Horn?
1: It was around about 30-something um, 30 days, 32, yeah. 31 days. Um, and then the, the most bizarre thing was after sailing all that way and through relatively rough weather pretty much we had i would say i have to say around about eight meter swells pretty much all the time and some days were just miserable just that sleety sort of rain you know rain and and wind and you know and constant water rushing or washing across the decks you know and that sort of thing um wearing five layers of clothing because it's just so cold the the most bizarre or ironical part is when we went around cape horn um, the morning of the day we were due to get there the weather forecast was fine no clouds and 13 degrees (laughs) and no wind oh wow and we drifted around cape horn at two kilometers an hour or two knots an hour i should say in shipping terms two knots an hour we had to sort of kind of argue with the (laughs) the captain who was really determined to turn on the engines and uh, wanted to uh, motor around the horn. And we were like, no, 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 we have, we've come all this way. You know, we can't do this. So we drifted around at two knots. I mean, how ironical is that? You know, when you, you read about the horn and you read about how it's known as the sailor's graveyard, it's known as it's tragic, it's dangerous, it's treacherous, it's rocky, it's rough, it's windy, it's, it's bad, it's hell.
0: And you had a Sunday afternoon sail around sail there. around it, yeah, yeah. You know,
1: people were on the deck in shorts and t-shirt. There was people. There was some of the crew, as just a bit of a thing to do, climbed the mast in the bikinis. You know, <laughs> just to, just to say that they've done it, and it was just you know, it's just so surreal. You just think, I've come all this way for this, yeah. like, you know. but it wasn't like that on the other side. Once we got around the other side, um, things soon quickly changed. Um, yeah, the weather was rough on the other side. That's for sure.
0: And you spent a bit of time at the Falklands and in South Georgia.
1: Yes, we did. Um, we spent about a week at the Falklands. Had an absolute ball at the Falklands. There was nine pubs at the, in the on the Falkland Island, and there's three and a half thousand people for nine pubs. And um, I can happily say I visited each one of those nine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> because of some of the damage sustained on the trip on the way over, um, we had to spend a week there to um, get some new stuff, new gear flown in, um, which is you know kind of. I guess, expected. I mean, I remember the first day we turned up and we were tied to the dock and the wind was blowing at a constant 50 knots all day. The ship was on a consist just just this lean out towards sea because that's the way, that, you know, the wind was coming across the land. And it was just constantly leaning because of the pressure of the wind. And it was it was only a skeleton crew that day because a lot of people had got off and flown, you know, made things to go home and all that sort of stuff. And we were loading stores all day and it was quite... Bizarre to be working on a deck that was, you know, so angled just because of the wind. And was it cold? It was cold, yeah. It was very cold in the Falklands. It was freezing. Uh, And it was their summertime.
0: They they fought a war over that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And it's still
1: there. (laughs) Oh, the war is still there. Mm. It's still very evident um, and still um, talked about amongst the locals. Oh, yeah. It's still very evident. You know, they've got two fighter planes that fly around the island every day. That yeah, every day just to show force. Um, you know, there's there's uh, naval ships that still turn up. Um, people are still talking about it. You know, the, the museums all dedicated to it and all that sort of stuff. Look, thankfully, there are some. That you know, there's quite a big influence of Argentinians now living on the Falklands. I think we're a lot more friendlier than we were back then. But it's still very evident. It's still very much there. It's it's um, yeah, it hasn't left. But. Th- If I can describe the town itself, it sort of reminded me, if you can cast your mind back to what Exmouth might have been like in the 90s. Right. Like, you know, that sort of beach sort of side town, you know? um, Just a a bit colder. Yes, just a bit colder. Yeah, a little bit rough, a little bit, you know... um, no 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 yeah no no special roads or anything you know that hard bitumen that if you fall over and graze yourself you know it's going to hurt you know tarmac no curbs you know um it was a bit like that um and land rovers everywhere dead land rovers alive land rovers The good thing
0: about the Land Rovers is you'd be able to hear them. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) They were
1: everywhere. But yeah, had a ball on the island um, for that week. Made a lot of friends. Um, Yeah, really enjoyed ourselves. And then we sailed from there down to South Georgia. But that was interesting itself too because we had to change a crew in the um, Falklands. So there was only seven of us that stayed on the boat for the next journey. So I had to make friends with another like 46 people had to get to know another 46 people, had to tell them all about my vision impairment again on how to work with me, how to relate to me and how I work. Um, so that in itself, again, was a little bit yeah, challenging. That,
0: that is a challenge, isn't it? We, we don't think about that, that you have to educate others all the time about what you, um, the way you're going to be acting, the way you're going to be um, sailing the boat, the things that you will be doing.
1: That's right. And, you know, it happened actually, um, this happened very, and it's a, I remember this day quite distinctly. It happened quite early into the first part of the voyage, and I was, we were going through another sail change again, and I was walking up the deck, and I had mentioned this to a few people the night before about how frustrated I was getting. And all that would happen is, is, as I was walking up the deck, I was getting pulled in all sorts of directions by different hands. People saying, watch the rope, watch this, watch that, watch the line, step over. There's people here, there's people. And it was sort of actually uh, impeding me more than actually helping. And I remember this one particular day, I think I'd just been pushed too far. And as I started walking up the deck, this started. And it's funny, when I describe this to people, it's quite strange. I kind of felt like I went inside myself and it's like this barrier or there's something comes up in front of me. It's almost like I can feel something in front of me and I just vocalized in a very loud uh, voice, but not rude. I, I, I sort of kind of said, um, I can't remember it exactly, but the feeling it, 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 it's an amazing feeling. and I said something along the lines of thank you everybody for your concerns. I appreciate you trying to look out for me. But I would appreciate it if I could make my own way up the deck, without your assistance. Unless I'm going to step over the side of the ship or fall down a hatchway that's really dangerous, please let me make my own way. I'm used to getting around. I'll be okay. And the ship kind of felt sil- It fell silent for at least five seconds. Because um, I, I have naturally quite a loud voice anyway. And I think i probably turn it up a bit more <laughs> for that. And it fell silent for five seconds. And then all of a sudden, people just got back into it. And that was the last day I ever did. That yeah. was the last time I ever had to say anything to anybody um in fact it actually went the other way where people stopped looking out for me at all and i remember some of the times in the Falklands. you know at one of the pubs they'd all walk off and leave me there <laughs> <laughs> to come back and get me oh right we forgot mm. you know um which is one of the biggest compliments of your life you know yeah. that they forget and well, you know well, and, might- it, and it takes guts to do that to stand up and say that sort of stuff Certainly. to people and i say to people um and i'm not just saying i'm the most gutsiest person in the world but and it's really hard that you know i once again like you said earlier i say that to the kids yeah tell the kids they've got to do that you know and then it 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 when you've got to do it yourself you know you soon realize it's not always easy what i'm telling these kids yeah
0: interesting you talk about the, the the help that people were trying to give you and you know yes there was obviously some risk there for you but the irony is you're such a seasoned sailor you know i've been on a On a boat with you on the river in perth only a small boat but um and you know you're jumping around like a like a rabbit from (laughs) end to end and (laughs) pulling ropes and putting sails up and and um you know your orientation around a a ship is uh, around a boat is is outstanding so i'm sure uh, it wouldn't have taken you very long at all to, to get your orientation skills around around the ship and and be quite capable of looking after yourself
1: the second time round it was a little bit easier because I think um, because those that crew the second crew we had to sail with because they had slowly sort of joined the ship throughout the week that we were there waiting because I was so familiar with the environment of the ship by then um, it was really quite funny that a lot of them didn't even realize that I was vision well they knew I was vision impaired but they didn't realize I was totally blind yes and it was quite strange that some of them actually didn't realise till we got to Cape Town 30 days later. They all just thought I was vision impaired, you know. So it was, um once again, you sort of like you builds your ego a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so Ryan, you've now then spent this
0: incredible time on this ship, a bit of time in South Georgia, a bit of time in Falklands. What was the overall highlight for you? Was there one particular highlight or was in general there a highlight for the whole adventure.
1: Oh look, the whole adventure was a highlight. Um, It it taught me so much about myself. I did a lot of inward thinking and a lot of um, realisation and some of that stuff I'm a little bit lax on these days and I'm a little bit hard on myself that I need to fix that. I I really do. Um, I mean, one of the things I did realise while I was there was that I'm very, very lucky to have the family I have and I'm a bit hard on myself at the moment because I have been so busy since getting back that I really haven't connected with my family. Like I said, I would during that journey. But I think one of the highlights for me was definitely that, that day of the storm. You know, as dangerous as that was, it was really out there on the edge. We were really, you know, we were in the middle of nowhere. If you'd gone over, there was no land within 700 kilometers. Wow. There was no seaplanes, there was no search planes, there was no helicopters, there was no, you had you, the ship, your life jacket, you know, um, the the boat at the back of the ship, or, you know, up and you know to come and search for you. And what, well, in, you know, these were taller than eight metre swells that day in a 70 knot wind.
0: Yeah, I've got much chance.
1: Yeah, no. And, and you know, when you when you think, oh, you know, sometimes I still get shivers when I think about that, you know, that day. You just think, whoa. You know, apart from that, there's there's fun little um, moments that stand out to me that, you know, were absolute bald. You know, when you're standing in the shower, and I've got to say this, you've got nothing on, right? And you've got one leg up on the toilet um, seat, you know, with the lid closed. The other one is because the ship's on such an angle, is on the side of the shower wall. You've got <laughs> you so you you know, you've got everything exposed to the world. You've got one hand holding onto a rail above your head and the other one's trying to soak yourself. <laughs> In the meantime, the ship's bucking and throwing itself around like a wild bull, and you're just thinking, one wrong slip here, and I tell you what, someone's going to end up awfully injured, and it's just <laughs> like, you know, but what can you do? you got to laugh at that moment yeah. and think about it. and it was a lot of that sort of stuff I actually wrote about in my blogs each day, uh, you know, that I sent back home. Um, how did I do that? We had a system on the ship where you could buy data, and ah. so I would write one email back to a good mate of mine back here in Perth, and I gave him silly me i actually gave him my password for my facebook page and um he would he would edit it my my rambles and fix up some of my spelling but he would also put his own little comments in and it wasn't until i got home that i realized how much (laughs) of his commentary was in my little blogs that i was sending out each day but um i really and i must
0: admit i followed those and it was um very exciting to every time there was a post to see what you'd been up to And, and i do recall the post immediately after that storm and you talked about the shivers going up your spine just recalling it Uh, i do vividly remember thinking the same thing and feeling the same thing when uh, i read that first blog or that blog about after the storm
1: yeah it's um yeah it it does make you think wow you know Mm -hmm. um and respect the ocean you know mother nature you have to respect it you cannot when you're taking on the elements like that you know you, you cannot just take it like a pinch of salt. You've got to be, it's serious, yeah. you know? Um, and it became very evident that like two days out of Auckland, we did a man overboard drill and it took them 16 minutes to get a dummy out of the water, wow. a mannequin out of the water, 16 minutes. Now, you know, you think you're in that water for 16 minutes. Now, if it was somewhere down near Cape Horn, or south georgia the average water temperature down near south georgia was something like three and a half degrees wow you're not going to last long you're not going to last 16 minutes no that's (laughs) right um you know and so you just think that that in itself someone said to me uh once on the ship what you know what's one of the things you've really come to recognize at the moment and i said it's the falling overboard don't do it just just don't do it you've got no chance you know it's a very slim you've got okay yeah you've got a chance but it's a slim chance yeah. you know of them even trying to find you and that's what one of the guys on the boat that the, the small boat that went out to retrieve the mannequin said it was hard to see it even though it was wearing all bright orange you know it was very hard to see it. and that was at 2 p.m on a sunday afternoon on a what was it 25 degrees and sunny yeah you know so you just think and that was perfect conditions mm,
0: challenges. yeah well ryan thank you very much for sharing that fantastic story with us I think the listeners will be fascinated by what you did. And, and I, as I said before, do recall reading your blogs and every day being absolutely fascinated myself by the challenge of the journey and what you were achieving. Perhaps I, if, if I can extend the offer to perhaps come back onto Max's Island and tell us another one of your stories. So I know you've got a few others. So perhaps <laughs> down the track we can talk about maybe the time you did the Sydney to Hobart. Oh, there or was may- that time. Yeah, yeah, or maybe the time when you, mm. when you won that gold medal. Mm, uh, sure. In the match racing. So, Do- Ryan, thanks very much for being on Max's Island. Uh, we really enjoyed that story.
1: Thank you for having me. As long as I can sail back here, I'll join you.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Ryan.
1: Cheers.
2: Spoke on the bus, on the way home from work, he was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur, Oh, work and no play, and how, how it had turned out this way. His sense was engaged, his mind was as clear